Let's, uh, let's pray. Dear Lord God, we are grateful for your work. We're grateful for just the joy of seeing each other. And we'd ask that the company of the saints and the love we have in your son would make us want more of it. More time in your kingdom, fellowshipping shipping with the believers wherever we are. Whatever church we're in, fellowship we're in, we'd ask that we'd find it to be a real delight. Guide us this morning, Lord, in your word, in your son's name. Amen. I had been thinking about a lot of things this week. And when you're thinking about a lot of things, your mind goes certain places in the text. So thankfully, it just happened to open up to Micah 7 this morning. I didn't go looking for this passage. I guess it went looking for me because Jake just told me that he was just reading Micah 7 last night. Weird. So um, maybe there's a portent in that. But it's, it's uh, as I read through it, there's such a direct refreshing sight into what we we see. I mean, the first line is, woe is me. You say, well, that's not going to turn out to be a very encouraging sermon. Woe is me. For I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the vintage has been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat no first ripe fig which my soul desires. You know that feeling. Harvest is done. Whatever the summer put out, you gathered it all in, you went to the farmer's market, you bought the last of the peaches available, and pretty soon all the fruit's squishy. None of it's, I don't know if you like fruit, I like fruit, so. The amazing thing, this globe that glo- grows on a tree that is chewable sweet metals. And it's all gone. It's, it, there is a, some people don't like, I like fall for other reasons. But some people look at it as the, the end, school starting, all the fun is over. Maybe you're more like Micah. Woe is me. It's like all the good things, all the produce, all the fruitfulness of life has been stripped away from me. But Micah's look, of course, as a prophet of God, looking at this in moral terms. Second verse says, The godly man has perished from the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts his brother with a net. And this great line here, their hands are upon what is evil to do it diligently. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. Just turn on the news, same picture. You can't. New York, who's running? Anthony Weiner, and what's the other guy's name? 
Spitzer, Elliot Spitzer. And, and there's no shame. And it's true on the right, and it's true on the left. If I just wait a little bit, get a PR agent, apologize kinda, start my, and it seems like they get rewarded. Who was the great hope out of South Carolina? Sanford runs off with some Argentine beauty, comes back, says he's sorry, runs in the primary, wins the primary, now he's running for, what, senator out of South Carolina? He'll probably win. If you ever feel like taking a shower, just because you walk home from the wickedness of the world, like all of the fruit of life is done, I can't get any decent food. Everybody is a mess. Now, all these things, look at the powerful characters, the prince, the judge, the great man. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of their watchman, of their punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. For the son treats the father with contempt, and the daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. This is rot. We have reality shows to teach us how rotten homes are the hatred between spouses, where I was watching a video on the news, it was on the news, of a fake hitman interviewing a woman who was taking a hit out on her husband. She was probably not out of her 20s. Because it was easier than divorce. You see kids rising up against their parents, you see parents against their children, the only thing that exists that is good are artificial families in the movies, ones that seem to be, this is what the, the utopia everybody wants to have, but everyone knows they go home to something far more real. It's a, you might say, evil is a, it's paying out. It really has a, you invest in it, boy, it comes back, it really grows in its value. It's like evil was a corporation that went public and did very well. And everything starts to reflect it. And good's not as promising as evil. Good people aren't credited, good people are mocked. Good people are, are um, abused, laughed at, not being sophisticated enough. You think of all the money and time and industry given, I love that phrase, to do it diligently. There are towns, cities, whose, you might say, annual budget is given over to the establishment of wickedness. 
to have the wickedness of its entertainments, the normalization of enough wickedness that more normal people can go to their town. And you say, is he talking about Vegas? Oh, no, Vegas is always that sin city thing. But there are just towns, cities, where evil men dwell, where the powers, the princes, the judges, the great men, everybody, down to the home and hearth side of the citizen, is lying on their bed thinking of evil. You can't trust your wife, your husband, your children. Well, you get back to that first line, woe is me. Golly, Micah, lighten up, Francis. I mean, aren't we, I mean, here we are in Moscow, Idaho, the weather's great, and, and we're with friends, and we're free, and we get to go to Arby's after church. Well, whether or not you feel that your life, you know, you say, Evan, your view of the depravity of humanity is known, and so maybe you're in the ministry, and so you're seeing it thrown up on your, thrown up, not used advisedly, on your porch um, regularly. But I don't see man as that bad. A lot of people don't see mankind as that bad. Can you at least agree that Micah saw it as that bad? whether you do, whether you're in a situation that is that bad. But I know that your family is not necessarily this way. You can trust your spouse to not smother you in your sleep, which I've worried about. So you could just put a kink in the hose, you know, that CPAP machine, just kink it. Simple, done. The cops would never know. Except by her smile. There was a great, this has nothing to do with the meaning of the sermon, it's Edgar Allan Poe's story called The Imp of the Perverse. Ever read it? Uh, the guy commits the perfect murder. Just perfect. No one will ever find out. He knows this. He goes on with his life. He keeps knowing how no one will ever know how he committed the perfect. By the end of the story, he's running down the street confessing at the top of his lungs. The imp of the perverse. So don't smother me. Well, we're not in these situations. But I want you to look at least and say, if you don't view your world this way, or if you view it as partially along this road, eventually it will get as wicked as it was in Micah's day. Micah was around the time of Ahaz and Hezekiah. So before the, the fall around the 700s BC, uh, time of Isaiah. So you might live to see a time this bad. You may think this time is this bad, but you have to grant that the prophet of the Lord was in a time this bad. And I want you to see what he's, how he's thinking. Because he has this, this weight of the collapse, the moral collapse of the civilization. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Now that's a, yeah, that's, that's better. I like that. 
We are, we are set up in an evil world, looking like Diogenes for the honest man, looking like Elijah for someone who hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. And you have a grip on your own, but Lord, I am one of yours. I will look to the Lord. I will wait for God. I will plead with God. God will hear me. But what's interesting to me, you say, this is all very, okay, prophet, Old Testament, moaning about how bad people are, pretty standard. Go anywhere in the prophets for that. Uh, trusting in God, okay, go anywhere in the prophets for that. What I liked about this is what he says next. Rejoice not over me, my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. And he's not talking about being pushed down by his enemy. Because you know that the enemy of the wicked of this world also look at the church as a place of great hypocrisy and wickedness, leadership, wicked, money hungry, all sorts of things out there. Not everybody, obviously. But what we know is that the one, you might say, empirically provable thing about Christian doctrine is the wickedness of man. That's what makes Christianity wonderful in that there's this ability, when I fall, I will rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. And then he says, he, instead of having it being, I'm a prophet and you're bad, I'm a prophet and the rest of the world really, really is messed up. I'm a prophet and he says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Micah's suddenly taken the place of the, the point of recognition as he, as he weighs sin in the world, the thing that is illuminating to him in his sitting in darkness, the thing that allows him to rise is his recognition of his own sin. I will bear the indignation of the Lord. I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light. I shall behold his deliverance. That's an interesting and a different thing. You, you often get, and I said, you can go to a lot of the prophets about various places of them the wringing their hands and rending their garments. They like to rend their garments. Um, sit on ash heaps, lie down beside a brick naked. They did interesting things, prophets. And you always expected them to, you know, denounce. Kind of look like Gandalf, if you're a geek. Or um, get all John the Baptist-y about things. You expect this sort of behavior. You're bad. I am prophesying against you. Oh, United States of America. But Micah gets the point and says, you know, but as for me, I will look to the Lord and it's, a, it's for grace. I will look to the Lord. I will take my punishment because I sinned. And God will plead my cause. That's, a, that's sort of an anticipatory, gracious remark in Micah, 700 B.C. 
He will plead my cause. He will bring me forth to the light. I should behold his deliverance. Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? That's the point. Oh, I think I saw something on Facebook. Uh, I don't know if any of you saw it. Some atheist going on a rant about how Christians could not be tolerated anymore. Something had to be done about them. It was, you know, loopy, probably state school, California. We, um, we know that people are always demanding, I think it was in the movie Airplane, where's your God now, old woman? And I think the priest says that to the, some old lady who's praying on the flight. It was a comedy. Where is your God now, old woman? Where is the Lord your God? This, this is what he offers. Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? Because in this wicked world, Micah, who saw the indignation of God poured out on him for his sins against God, had looked to the Lord, had waited for the Lord, had prayed to the Lord, God would hear, and God would plead his cause and execute judgment. God would deliver him, and that would answer the person who said, where is the Lord your God? I was talking to someone last night who was, uh, had a child away from the Lord, and the child away from the Lord was just miserable. And the people in the family who weren't away from the Lord were rejoicing. Not because God gives us the rejoicing juice, but because who can help but rejoice when you're forgiven your sins? Who can walk through life? You have two kinds of people that could commit grave sins like you have committed, sins worthy of death like you have committed, and not care. Sociopaths and Christians. Okay? There we are. We have a club. <laughs> Serial killers and Christians. Now, sociopaths, because they're all about themselves, they don't care about anybody else. The basis of all ethics of violating love for your neighbor doesn't register with them. You, because it registered, and you cried out to God, and the God forgave. And so when somebody says, where is your God? You say, I'm not a sociopath. I've been forgiven. That will cover them. Whichever. They can't deny the fact that you were evil. They thought they had you. Hey, you did an evil thing. I did an evil thing. But I looked to God. I waited for the Lord. He heard me when I pled to him. And when I fall, I will rise. When I sit in darkness, he'll be my light because he is being gracious to us all. My eyes will gloat over her. Now she will be trodden down like the mire of the streets. I don't know who that was. For some reason, it's a feminine 
enemy. I guess some woman had been berating Micah. <laughs> I wonder if it was a man's enemies. He, her who lies in your bosom. I don't know if it was his wife. That might have just been the queen, someone like Jezebel. Maybe just a metaphor for something. My eyes will gloat over her. Oh, you know how you feel? You ever... <clears throat> Those of you who do the Facebook and stuff like that, you, you see arguments with unbelievers and somebody quotes C.S. Lewis or something, and it's just a telling, you know, somebody says something that's completely a smackdown on the ungodly, and all the Christians are going, boom, bam in your face. We like those moments, right? This guy, when somebody says something that's just irresistibly good as an argument. And you love to see them discomfited, slack-jawed by the strength of your argument and your apologetic. You like that? Micah seemed to like it too. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to gloat over her. It's a neener, neener, neener moment whoever she was, she will be trodden down like the dirt in the streets. Victory is mine. But what's it based on? The shame she feels at seeing the grace poured out to you. Everyone knows wickedness and evil is out there. Everyone knows you've been bad. And you're either going to be a sociopath or you're going to be a Christian or you're going to be wicked. The sociopath is wicked too, just doesn't care. Where is the Lord your God? The BAM moment is how wonderful the grace of God has been poured out to you. I've been thinking lately about a passage, I think it's in Corinthians, I hadn't thought of it. Is it in 1st Corinthians or 2nd Corinthians? Do you not know, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. And it's not saying, so all you good people come to church. It's saying, this won't inherit the kingdom of God. Woe is humanity. And then he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. That is the bam moment. That is the, the inexplicable. Where is your God? This is where my God is. What God has made out of a sinner that's fallen and has been raised up. That sat in darkness has been illuminated. A day for the building of your walls. In that day, the boundary shall be far extended. In that day, they will come to you from Assyria to Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants. 
for the fruit of their doings. Shepherd thy people with thy staff, the flock of thy inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nation shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths, their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like, ser like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God. They shall fear because of thee. Oh, that's the part we like. When our boundaries are... I'm a big imperialist, too, those of you who know me. I, I love to you know, conquer other nations and take their stuff. I haven't done much lately, but I'm resting. And you like to see the church become, you know, the boundaries extended, right? In that day, the boundary shall be far extended, and marvelous things shall be done. Some of you, you know, are, are institutionally yeah, aggrandizing. You want more of the church, more things happening, and more gains to be made, and more boards of more colleges becoming more Christian, or whatever it is. Others of you want more marvels, more pew jumping, more shafts of light coming down from heaven and illuminating, more power. Well, that's promise too. Look at the boundaries go out and the marvelous things go out. I'm not here to tell you, say, well, haven't you sounded a little bit subjectively against those things there for a moment, and Micah seems to be prophesying them. What's your problem? You don't like Micah? This all rests on the grace that is poured out to you. I've got no problem with an institution that grows to fill the whole earth, none whatsoever, if it's made up of people who have passed from death to life by the grace of God, and only those people who have passed from death to life by the grace of God, and only those people who continue to think that passing from death to life by the grace of God is far greater than the boundaries could ever cause them to feel. That your boundaries small, your boundaries large. Your mighty works, you know, walk on water, float in the air, heal the sick, well and good, or nothing at all. Not even a temptation to speak in tongues. But you pass from death to life. The thing that should rivet you, because the thing that brings shame to the detractors of God, is the one thing they can't make. Oh, they can make an institution, for heaven's sake. Look at some of the heretics. They've got institutions just as big as ours. Look at Islam, doing great. Overrunning Europe. What's your problem? You're voting in terms of like a democratic path, the truth? You know non-believers can do that. They just can't get their sins forgiven. We can get grace from God. When you fall, you can be raised. When you sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to you. And Micah, all of the problems that are attendant to, um, and you know how much I want to float, you know, levitate. I want to fly, 
I just want to float. Just, just enough, six inches, maybe. Maybe a foot or two or more. And when I'm levitating, I just know. You'll pay attention then, won't you? Because they're, you know, marvelous works. I don't want, I don't want to be a healer because I don't want you coming over every time you have a cold. I don't really know, it was stuffed up. I know you usually heal cancer, but I have a cold. I don't want that. I just want to float. Because I don't have to do anything for you, but you're still impressed. <laughs> and I'd like, uh, thank you, thank you very much, to be published. I would like to be, what else? World-renowned in my ministry. I'd like the boundaries of All Souls Christian to expand. So just those two things, world-renowned and floating. Marvelous works, expanded boundaries. But I have to tell myself, Evan, you're going to be tempted in those circumstances. If, and most of you know that if Evan was given any kind, even if God increased his vertical leap, not his ability to float, conceit, pointing to that. I want you to remember and look at what Micah, having said that the grace of God would be proving where his God was, and that would bring about the expansion of the boundaries, that would bring about the new a period in those days, marvelous works. The nations will like dust like a serpent, They'll be out of sheer dread worshiping the Lord our God. Ta-da, we win. But verse 18, what he meditates on. Who is a God like thee? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. When he thinks of his God, he doesn't think of the God at the head of some juggernaut of religious advancement. A group that is now winning in the world because it came up with the best religion everybody would want to believe and everybody wants to get on board with it and Jesus wins. We're not bragging about Jesus because his religion wins. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus wins according to what he did, not how many people believed it. Because if that were the story, sin wins. More people believe it. Or how flashy the miracle of rising from the dead was. It doesn't have to do with flashy the miracle of the rising of the dead. That's the payment, the power, the deity of Jesus Christ. Who is a God like thee, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. That's what Mark was reading. Our God is love. He delights in loving. He will again have compassion upon us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Thou wilt cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. He was looking at the world, but he focuses on his own sin. 
And in focusing on his own sin, he is seeing the grace of God, the mercy of God, the patience of God, the steadfast love of God. And I, what I want to ask you, so you say, yeah, we're, we're for that. You know, you could take a poll right now. How many of you are for the grace of God? Yeah, I think that's what we're supposed to raise our hands right now. We're supposed to do that. That's part of our catechism. We don't have a catechism. It's part of our beliefs. You know the right answer. I'd like you, in focusing on what you have done that was evil, your iniquities, what did he call them? I have sinned against him. Pardoning iniquity, God is pardoning it. That being a, a massive proof bringing shame to the world. Christians have stepped out of sin. That's what we've done. That's the big moment. That's the big reveal. That's the big denouement in the story. You have been called out of sin. No, Jesus Christ is not designing a new church with new ideas, allowing you to have the kind of sins you want, kind of, because they're kind of cool right now, and, and, and you have a knit cap on your head. Or plaid. I hear plaids in. Just because you're cool, Christianity is not changing. The thing about Christianity and our God from ancient times till now is that our God forgives. Our God is gracious. Our God died to provide this. I would think it was central. And it's central to your argument with the world because when it comes down to it, the question to them is, how's it working out for you, you being in charge of your life? How's that working out? Because for me, bowing the knee to Jesus Christ and getting forgiven for my sins changed my life. You know me. You know the peace I have. That's what you want to testify to. So I've sinned just as much. I'm probably worse than you. Paul could claim I was the chief of sinners. Such of this awful list that will never inherit the kingdom of God, such were some of the Corinthians, no matter how bad that was. But the sanctification and the justification from Jesus Christ, that's our argument. When you say, who is a God like that? Where is the Lord your God? What is the kind of God you think of? Does your mind start to go to some sort of creedal formulation of what defines God? Or do you say, all I know is when I fall, I rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord is my light. And when I am in my transgression, he pardons. He forgives. I don't have to give up morality to be at peace with having been immoral. Your God is a wonderful God for this. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're grateful for the mercies poured out to so many of us here. For all sorts of sins, Lord, we represent in this small room with this small group of people probably a degree of heinousness that is unparalleled. And yet, you have forgiven. And Lord, help the forgiveness alive in our lives 
be the great proof, the great argument that brings shame to the ungodly. Expand your church's boundaries, Lord. Do marvelous works in her. In your son's name, amen.